welcoming to Rage Against the Mainstream for the first time, our new friend, Ryan Fluff Bruce from Dragged Under. That's me. <laughs> How you doing today, man? <laughs> I'm good. I'm uh it's been a very very it's one of those uh it's a perfectly balanced day today. It's one of those days where like you feel like you have so much shit to do, but you're getting all of it done and it's just a generally a very productive day and you're just kind of firing on all cylinders. I'm having one of those days. That those days don't come often. But when they do, they're so sweet. Oh my god, dude, tell me about it. Oh, <laughs> they're so good. So for those of our listeners that don't know, I know who you are, but who are you and what do you do? Um, I do a few different things. Uh, everyone calls me fluff. I, I basically, um, when I'm when I'm at Thanksgiving dinner and I get asked by the cousin's new boyfriend or whatever what I do, I I generally tell them I play guitar for the internet and I also <laughs> play play guitar for uh, a band called Dragged Under. And I'm, I guess you would say I'm most known for my YouTube channel, Rift Spirits and Gear, and the gear-centric and guitar-nerdy gear demos. I don't really like to call them reviews because reviewing is saying, you know, something that you don't like and like about it, and you're critiquing it, which I don't really do. The whole, the whole idea for my channel is I'm going to check it out, and I'm going to play through it, and I'm going to let you decide if you like it or not. And um, I started the channel, and... I think it was 2011, and I got super serious about it in 2015 when I went full-time and, and dedicated all of my energy to that. So, uh, yeah, play guitar for the internet, play guitar for Drake Under. That's awesome. Basically. Yeah. Now, I stumbled onto your channel years ago. Um, I believe it was, like, the 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 Bugera tri video. <laughs> yeah. Like, because, yeah, wow. you know, like, <laughs> your search on the internet and... I don't know if any other listeners or whatever out there ever encountered it, but like you, when you watch like gear reviews and stuff, the people never really play what you would play. If that makes any sense. Like, yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm looking for chugs. I'm looking for someone to do a squeal here or there. Like, I just want to hear what this is going to sound like. And stumbling onto your channel, I was like, all right, this dude, this dude kind of plays guitar like the way I do. And then it was like, I was hooked instantly. Um, that was kind of, I mean, there was a few different reasons why I started the channel, but that was one of them because when, um, you know, I was shopping for, I think at the time I was, I was shopping for an overdrive pedal and specifically I wanted to know the differences between the full tone OCD and the Maxon OD808 because I didn't want to buy both. And then all of the videos, the few videos I could find now, granted this is 2000, late 2010, um, it was the wild west on YouTube. Yeah. The videos that were out were all camera audio and miking up professionally for something that was on YouTube was only really reserved for, uh, you know, the line sixes of the world and the Dunlop TVs <laughs> of the world. And, you know, the big companies that would be in this multimillion dollar studio in front of this SSL console telling me how awesome it's going to sound at home. Exactly. And and I was just like, how the fuck are you going to know how it's going to sound at my house? With, <laughs> you know, and then when they would play, they would play the tastiest 60s blues bass rock or they would do some fucking Yingve shredding 
stuff. And I don't play either, either of those things. You know, I'm a, I was a James Hetfield fan. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ever into Kirk Hammett and I loved songwriting and I loved riffing. And to me, you know, the basis of the entire song is the rhythm. And if you don't have that, you have nothing to solo over anyway. So I just always loved the songwriting aspect of it. And so I was pissed and I ended up buying both pedals and <laughs> I I did the video. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it, it's just so cool. And um, I guess kind of branching off of that, like, like I was saying before, like with everything being like accessible and whatever, like in a world full of anyone, you know, being able to make like a YouTube channel, actually make videos. And, you know, if they're lucky enough being able to, you know, like mix the audio and everything and make it sound good. How do you manage to stay like a step above like the rest? Like, like how do you um, continue to stay like fresh and creative and draw more people in? Um, I think my, I, I've got, it's interesting. Like over the years I've gone through various phases and we all copy people initially. I feel like if you're in a band, you're going to wear your influences super, super heavy until you kind of figure out your own way. And the same thing applies for the, the YouTube stuff. Um, I, in the early, so in the early days, the people that were doing what I wanted to do were only basically two. It was my buddy, Keith Marrow and my friend, Ola England. Hmm. And, and they were in the infancy of their channels. And Ola was one of the first guys that was playing metal. And he was throwing up an SM57 in front of a cab. And, you know, he would use basic so his uh his awesome wife louise is uh, a photographer and he was using basic photography angles and you know his stuff looked really really good and oh, yeah. sounded really good and it still does i mean i love ola um and he's he's the best there is and um i kind of copped that heavily for like the first year of my channel and then I had to do something that no one else was doing. And that one thing to me, and this is not a knock on anybody was I didn't really find someone who was a really good talker in front of the camera. Like everyone was a guitarist first and a talker second. Yeah. You need to have that personality. Like you've got to have, have that the personality thing, you have nothing. Yeah. And you have to give them a reason to stick around if they've never seen your stuff before and so I got a couple of online courses for public speaking because I figured, I mean, it's going to basically translate. Um, in the early days of my channel, I did no talking. And my my tagline was, before I even named the channel, it was uh, less talk, more tone or something like that. And <laughs> I was I was scared to death of talking to the camera. And I was so painfully awkward. And then I took a couple of uh, public speaking classes from, I think it was like Lydia or something like that. Um because when you're talking to a camera, you're getting no feedback. There's no interaction. You were talking to a circular piece of glass. So you kind of have to know how to react and bounce off of that. And that was my initial way to just kind of get ahead. And then, you know, I think my stuff sounds pretty good. Um, I mix all my own stuff. And I also always wanted it to look the best it could. And I'm into cinematography and I'm into... I'm just, I'm into all that stuff. Like I'm into cinematography, audio engineering, mixing, all that stuff. So, so I'm just, what, I combined all that stuff. So what came first? Was it the, like the fact of 
Well, because, you know, for those that don't watch the channel, you do a lot of, you know, like gear demos and stuff, but you also do like a lot of, uh, not like teaching, cause I guess that's not really the right word, but, um, like kind of like an instruction on how to do some audio engineering and, you know, producing type deals. So at what point mm -hmm. did you decide you wanted to start doing that as well? Um, I don't know, man, that kind of came, kind of came naturally, really. I mean, it's just a slow pr progression of things. It's so like, you're talking about like the spawn, like the legit sponsored stuff. Well, like the universal audio stuff and like teaching how to use the plugins and stuff like that. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I honestly, all the audio engineering stuff for me, there was no, uh, cause now you have, uh, you have programs like nail the mix that every month you get mixed tracks and you can practice your mixing, mixing skills. I had none of that. And I learned by screwing up for years on end and I would just learn what worked for me audio wise. And like, you know, I was so naive at the beginning. I thought you got additional plugins like waves plugins, um, <laughs> that work with, with any DAW. I started on Reaper and I thought I was so naive that I thought you got plugins by switching to a different DAW. Oh my like, God. That's funny. <laughs> like wa waves came with pro tools and I didn't know any different because no one is out there saying, this works with your DAW or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It just kind of, it came naturally, but, uh, what that meant was I actually took the time and used the tools that I had in front of me, as opposed to now, I think the danger that a lot of, uh, audio guys run into if they're first starting out is they will, they won't even hesitate to go and buy waves gold before they've ever even started. And for me, it was plugins were always a problem solver. They weren't ever, they weren't ever the walls of the house. They were the hammer and then they were the screwdriver. But if I don't need a screwdriver, I'm not going to go get a screwdriver. That's a so, perfect analogy. So I never, ever used anything but stock plugins for the first like three years I was doing audio stuff. That's awesome. That's, so. that's, that's really cool. So, um, I guess like kind of sticking with the YouTube stuff, because uh, eventually I want to get to, you know, talking about, you know, rest repose and drag under sure. and stuff like that. So being a creative person and everything, how do you manage to like stay creative? Like while you're because once again, if you if you don't watch the channel, which you should, you basically write like songs to do these Mm -hmm. gear demos and stuff how do you determine like what's going to become like a gear demo song versus what could become like a, like a song song that's going to be recorded um you know what some sometimes i mean i guess it's slightly different with the bands but originally i just needed a vehicle to to demo the thing that i was checking out in a mix just because I like doing it. Like I love audio and I love mixing and I love songwriting and I love that craft. And that was always just a way to keep my chops up, I guess. And I'd never really written anything like that kind of stuff, like the stuff I have on my channel, which is more metal infused, but sometimes it's kind of punk. Oh yeah. And sometimes, 
sometimes it's slower cloud kicker kind of stuff. Um, originally, I never wrote any of that stuff because I had no outlet for it. And then the videos thing started, and I was like, oh, I'm going to record. I'm going to learn how to use Superior Drummer. And uh, I didn't even know what Superior Drummer was until I wrote Ben Sharp, who releases stuff under the name Cloud Kicker. And uh, I wrote him and asked him how he did his drums, and he explained to me what MIDI drums were. Like, that was how I learned about MIDI drums because no one would tell you that shit. That's so, crazy. Um. It was all just uh, evolving, and the songwriting is always evolving, and, you know, you get better and better at it, and, and along with mixing. But um, then the rest repose started, and we took, me and uh, Jared Dines took basically our favorite riffs from all of my demos and then made them into songs. We ch- kind of cherry-picked, and uh, we just made the songs... And it, we made the little riff things because you know there were only like thirty second song stuff. Yeah, uh, we made them into, into full songs. Um, we don't do that with Dragged Under necessarily. I mean, kind of, but not really. Uh, Dragged Under, we work totally different than than Rust Repose did. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just loved writing. I, I love songwriting, even if it's just a short riff. Like I love, you know, putting some drums behind it and making it feel tougher or lighter or anything like that. I just, I love that stuff. It's just so cool for me to sit back and listen to, you know? Yeah. Well, to this day, I still go back and watch like the Eastwood, like RD demo video. Oh, yeah. like, that, uh-huh. like that song, like when, when I go to show people like your channel or like, even like, for instance, my one buddy's like, yeah, I really want to get an RD. And I'm like, dude, listen, you gotta look at this Eastwood guitar. And he's like, well, well, you know, what should I do? And I, I put on your video and he's like, man, this song's fucking awesome. And oh, then thanks, like, man. I remember listening to the rest repose album and I forget what song it is, but like one of those riffs was recycled for that song. And I was like, Oh shit, mm-hmm. there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was either generator or influence or something like that. But, uh, or I don't even remember what it was. That was a long time ago, but Yeah. <laughs> Uh, most of the first uh, uh, Rest Repose record was was uh, just riffs I had lying around. I mean, I had tons and tons of riffs, and um, it just it made a lot of sense. And it was a lot of fun to kind of form them and go back and revisit them and form them into full actualized songs. Oh, yeah. I, I bet. It, I mean, with the amount of demos that you do, like, I mean, you basically have Dude. <laughs> like ridiculous amounts of music. I do. I have just shitloads of just small snippets of riffs and all that kind of stuff. You have like the like the fabled like uh, fifty one fifty studios, like all the tapes just laying around. Yeah. Um. So actually, on a for a personal question, that's actually not on my list, but I wanted to ask it. When are you going to do more riff wars? Um. I'm going to get around to it. I think now it makes more sense than it did for a long time. I just didn't, they, they were doing a lot of views and I think everyone kind of forgot about them and then getting other creatives to do them how I want them to be done is very, very challenging because not that I have some crazy high quality standard, but. Well, you know how it should look. I want it to look a certain way and I want it to sound a certain way. And if it doesn't sound or look like that, anything less, and then I'm just not going to fucking do it. And I, a lot of guys that I asked to do it 
oh yeah i'll just do it like real quick and they don't put the effort into it because it's a lot of work for me in post cutting it up editing it mixing everything and then like you know another guy will want complete control over his guitar tone i'm like nope that's not the premise because we use the same guitar tone because we want everything as equal as possible so that's why we use the same drum part to write to etc etc so it's a pain in the ass to do it, honestly and uh well i guess you know. like kind of like watching it you don't really well you know from like my standpoint you don't really realize how much goes into it and stuff's like oh right like, you know it's just cutting and splicing video like what like what do you mean but like you know doing even doing this like the, you can just tell like i have two other guys on the show with me and they just kind of show up and talk and then they leave but then I'm stuck here with the computer and I'm doing all the editing and I'm cutting out all the ums and all that other stupid shit and all like the ridiculous talks of, you know, that my one buddy talks about and stuff. And it's just like, you don't really understand like what goes into this, do you? Right. Exactly right. Like we talk for like two hours and I have to cut it down to an hour. Like, and then they're like, oh, dude, come on. All you're doing is just editing. And it's like, yeah. Have you ever tried to take a two hour conversation and literally cut it in half? It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Starting out in, you know, starting out playing guitar or even just in the very beginning, what got you into music? Um,. I mean, my parents always listened to music growing up. That was always, I don't know, that was always just kind of part of the deal. Um, there was a cool dichotomy that I didn't really appreciate at the time, though, with my mom and dad. Because my, mom, my mom's favorite band of all time was Fleetwood Mac and the Cars. And she liked the Beatles. And my dad would spin you know, the first couple of Van Halen records, he was really into Black Sabbath and The Who and Led Zeppelin. And so I had this cool dichotomy of like this poppy, you know, we could go from the Eagles to Van Halen one <laughs> and, you know, from song to song, like you just didn't know. Um, and then I would got really into like the first thing I ever got into was the Beach Boys because I loved the vocal harmonies. Oh my God. Um, yeah. That's which, which is which is the same reason why I love the Eagles. Like they're just so brilliant <clears throat> as far as their songwriting. Um, but the, I got into hip hop initially when I was like 11 or 12. And then I was delivering newspapers and trying to just earn money. And my, I helped my buddy's dad, who was an electrician, run some electrical underneath the house in the crawl space because um, it was really, really narrow. We were small enough to get under there. <laughs> and for my payment, uh, I got uh, a Nirvana, uh, Nirvana's In Utero CD, which had just come out. Oh, wow. Um, so I was about 13 at the time, 14 at the time. And I was still delivering newspapers. Then uh, Kurt Cobain died, and I found out by picking up my morning newspaper that morning. And... So I was like, well, I'm going to start playing guitar now because, you know, I'm kind of, that's when you get to the age and like, you're made like, oh, I like this and I don't like that. And here's what I like about this. And like, <laughs> you know, 
I was just at that perfect age. I was a grunge kid growing up in in the Seattle area in the Northwest and uh, in the nineties. And it was awesome. And yeah, yeah, Nirvana. I was going to say like being out in that area, how much of an influence was the whole grunge thing for you? Huge. Um, I was a little after the fact. I mean, obviously like I was 10 when, you know, in 1990 I was 10. So um, but I do remember like my, my very first show, uh, K I S W is like the K rock of Seattle up here. And okay. they used to have a free summer festival every summer. And once a week they would have a free show with the space needle and bands like, you know, fucking Friday would be, uh, Alice in Chains and then Saturday would be mud honey. And then That's awesome. Uh, and, th- and then Pearl Jam to play the next weekend. And it was all free. Like it was nuts. Um, my first concert was uh, Grunt Truck and Seven Year Bitch, which oh, wow. are Grunt Truck like did the Super Unknown Soundgarden tour and they toured a thousand chains a lot. And like it was Grunge City. So like all of that here at the time was just so amazing. You just walk down, you could throw a rock and hit a grunge band. It was pretty cool. That, that I mean, Obviously, like, well, if anyone listens to the show, the major, you know, middle ground for everybody is we all have a giant appreciation for, you know, like the Seattle bands. And uh, I mean, my one, the one co-host is super fucking Nirvana guy, like ridiculous Nirvana guy. Kurt Bain is the greatest guitar player that's ever lived in his mind. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that, but yeah, I was, I was a, a fucking Nirvana nut. My mom was just like, dude, you have to do something else with your time. And I was like, <laughs> no, and, um, songwriting wise, it could be argued that he's probably the greatest songwriter of my generation for sure. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt. And it has, to, it's a lot of those Seattle bands too. Like you like think of like Jerry Cantrell, you think of Chris dude, Cornell, right? I mean, dude, it was just like, it was like the melting pot for like the greatest songwriters ever. Dude, 100%. Jerry Cantrell was like, after after the initial Nirvana thing, because I liked how simple the songs were, when I started really paying attention to songwriting, Jerry Cantrell is like my dude. And I don't fanboy out ever, but like I was so close to him in, uh, the Gibson booth at Nam two years ago, and he was on the couch just playing, <laughs> just playing Alice in Chains riff, dudes. Uh, he was like, he had an Explorer, and he was trying to Firebird, and he was sitting there just playing down in a hole, and then he was playing Man in a Box, and it ain't like that anymore. And I'm like standing on the other end of the couch that he's sitting on. I was just like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Because <laughs> like, oh my god, that dude, uh, he changed my life. Yeah, I've only cried twice to music once was when i saw van halen in 2015 like that's pretty cool dude it didn't even like get into the show it was just like the first like beginning where you hear like the drums and you hear like eddie just do like the like the die bomb and that's pretty cool yeah dude my wife looked over at me and i was sobbing like a fucking baby (laughs) and i was like you don't understand (laughs) and the second time was when i was in the pit for Alice in Chains when they were on the Black Gives Way to Blue tour. Obviously, I didn't have the chance to see them with Lane, 
But when they first came out, I I think they opened that show with "Damn That River" or "Them Bones." I'm not sure, but it was it was "Them Bones." They opened up with "Them Bones." It was the first time I ever cool. seeing William Duvall, and I was like, I I cried at that too. <laughs> I saw them and. Right when they reformed in 05, I got tickets to the Moore Theater uh, up here, the local show, and uh, it was it was crazy. I've I've seen a lot of really, really crazy concerts, uh, especially when I was younger. Um, to think now, I'm like, man, how the hell? And then my dad, like I recently found out, like my, my dad's like, oh, yeah, I went and saw, um, it, was the, it was the Never Say Die tour, Black Sabbath, with oh, wow. uh, Van Halen. Van Halen was opening and just blew them off the stage. Yeah, I've heard those stories. Yeah, um, dude. I yeah. Uh, there was so much great music in the area, dude. I saw, I saw the Foo Fighters in a three hundred cap room on the Color and the Shape tour here in Seattle oh, when God, I was that'd be sixteen awesome. years old. It was unbelievable. And then the following week at the same at the same club, I saw Weezer on the Pinkerton tour. What? Yeah, dude. It, <laughs> it was nuts. It just it, it sucks that you know, like all of us on this show, we're like. Uh, I think uh, me and Steve are the oldest. We're 28. So, like, when all this shit was going on, like, we were, like, really busy listening to, like, Ludacris and stuff like that. Right. And then and, and the Eminem show. But it's like, at the, at, you know, at the, now, knowing now, if I knew then what I know now, I would have had my head out of my ass and, like, was, like, paying attention to these type of bands because it would have been really awesome to, like, you know, right. get my parents to take me out to go see Foo Fighters on Color and Shape Tour. Like, could you imagine? Well, yeah, you saw them. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was, yeah. And the funny thing is, back then, me and my best friend, Brian, uh, we went to all these shows together. My parents didn't take me. They dropped us off and were like, okay, we're going to go out to dinner, have a little date night, call us when the show's over. <laughs> That's like, awesome. It was insane. Dude, Corn 1996, more theater as well. Like, their second tour. That shit was crazy. Yeah, I can only imagine how crazy that was. And plus, back then, the tickets were probably only like 10 bucks. Yeah, yep, 10 bucks. I think the most expensive one we went to was, I think it was corn. I think it was $20. But the Foo Fighters and the Weezer, I think those were like $12 or something. When Foo Fighters came around here on their last tour, I well, the, the closest city to us, the closest big city is Philadelphia. We're, we're based out of South Jersey. Okay. Um. Foo Fighters played in Camden, which, you know, is the yeah. it's the BB&T Center and, you know, all mm-hmm. that. The lawn tickets were $120. Dude, I, I wanted to see them on their last tour. They played this giant outdoor amphitheater here. And, yeah, tickets were $125, $150 bucks or something like that. And they like, sold it instantly. I was just like. I can't that. justify that. Nope. Nope. No like, way. I, the only. What band would you if a band reformed realistically, well, what would you pay two hundred dollars for? Like, I would personally, if if I saw a Led Zepp reunion, mm. I would pay, I would pay several hundred dollars for for that fucking ticket. That well, it's funny because I've talked about this before. The only concert that I would spend like ridiculous amounts of money on, like sell all my guitars and all that other shit. Would be if Van Halen toured with Sammy and Dave. I would pay ridiculous Oof. amounts of money to see that. Dude, did you ever? Did you read? Do you read a book? Do you read books like, um, like uh, rock books? 
Not really. I, I, I do a lot of Wikipedia reading. Uh, I highly recommend. So Van Halen's original manager wrote a book that came out last year. Okay. And it's basically the cool thing um, is his book covers uh, like six months before they get signed up through Roth leaving because he went with Roth. And then Sammy Hagar's book picks up when he Roth left and he joined the band. So if you read Van Halen's book and then Sammy Hagar's book, it's one long continuous timeline and it's unbelievable. One of the best books I have ever, ever read in my entire life. The craziest thing that I heard of with that whole like Van Halen camp is that when they were like recording Van Halen one, uh, Ted Teppelman was like, Hey, listen, you should really get Sammy Hagar in the band and like back in 78. And it was just like, what? Like, could you imagine how much different the world would be? (laughs) Um, I didn't realize, and I had just, uh, I had a conversation with about this with my dad the other day. I did not realize until reading Sammy's book and the Van Halen book that, Sammy was actually technically bigger than Van Halen when he joined Van Halen. He was selling out the arenas that they were not selling out. And he was actually making way more money than the entire band of Van Halen when he joined Van Halen. That's crazy. Well, you have to think, too, that that VOA tour, I Can't Drive 55, all that other stuff, like from that album. It, I mean, that... That was probably that VOA was probably on the same par as like 1984, probably maybe even sold yeah. better. Uh, it did. Well, yeah, it did. Um, my dad was like, oh, no. Yeah. Sammy Hagar was like the biggest damn thing in the world at the time. Besides like Journey. <laughs> well, Journey, Journey's presence is always going to be there. You, you'll never get rid of them. Dude, they're <laughs> the perf- most perfectly crafted pop songs ever. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because I put Journey in, like, the same category as, like, Alice in Chains, especially for this area. Oh, yeah. Obviously, besides 2020, because this has been, like, the year from hell, but Uh you could always be guaranteed that every July you're going to get Journey here, and every August you're going to get Alice in Chains. So sick. (laughs) Dude, like, I've seen so many good concerts down down there and at the Camden uh, venue, like I I watched uh, Journey Heart and Cheap Trick, that was one that, that, that was ridiculous. I saw Poison and Def Leppard, and uh, I believe Cheap Trick opened that too. I saw Poison and Motley Crue on the same bill, like that was ridiculous. Damn, dude. Yeah, Kenny Wayne Shepherd and Van Halen. Um, they they do the the big rock station out here is MMR, and every year they okay. do the MMR McHugh. I the last one I went to was Alice and Jane's headlining. Ghost played before them. Oh, dude, it was ridiculous. Favorite band ever. I I love Ghost. My wife hates them, but I'm like I'm like you don't understand. Like this is just super awesome music. Yeah, my lady doesn't get it either. She's like, I don't. What the fuck is that? Uh, <laughs> It's funny because, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's like they're one of those bands that everybody should like. Like, there's no I get reason. It though. I get it. Like, I, I get, I get how people could not get it. Yeah. Um, as someone who didn't initially get it, because when you visually look at them, you honestly expect them to sound like Behemoth. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like. You expect them to be the hardest fucking band you've ever heard in your life. And you hear them and you're like, 
this is literally ABBA with guitars. <laughs> like this is ABBA with with upside down crosses and and distorted orange amps. Like oh yeah, well, <laughs> what the, the hell? It was funny. I was listening to the Eddie Trunk podcast. Uh, I think it was like last week or something. I was going through his archived episodes, and he had Tobias Forge on there. And like that dude, like to hear him like talk about how like how he basically comes up with everything for this band. I was like, this guy's like a fucking genius. Yep. Um, I have a mutual friend with with him, uh, my buddy Mike from uh, Mike Squires. From he does uh, this wonderful podcast and a show called Couch Riffs that I just guested on. We did a cover of me, William from Allison Chains, and the drummer for the Killers, and dude from the Shins did a Rod Stewart cover. Anyway, oh wow, anyway, off track. That's cool. Um, it was it, it was fucking awesome. Um, uh, he knows Ghost from playing uh, festivals over in Europe together when they were a baby, teeny tiny band. And the first time in Seattle, they stayed at his apartment, and he drove them around on their day off showing them around Seattle and he stayed in touch with Tobias like ever since. That's crazy. <laughs> right? That that's like the coolest thing ever. That's almost like like getting like the Willy Wonka golden ticket and just like keeping it under your pillow. It's like, dude, that is so cool. Tell him I love him. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um so I guess Going off of, well, we got like way off topic. We went but, so fucking far off. Like, but let's dude, get back that's into cool. Yeah. Like I'm all, I'm all about this off topic shit because I hate reading off like the sheet. Like, like I do a lot of interviews with like bands that I, I've never even heard of. And it's just For like, sure. it's like, all right, here's the generic questions. I've watched like every video they had on YouTube and you know, whatever. And like I sometimes I have to do this, but to have like an actual conversation is like an entirely different thing. It just makes it so much more fun. <laughs> it does. It's a way it's, it's it's a way better vibe. Good hang. Oh, hell yeah. Um I guess so going back to you starting out on guitar, who mm-hmm. were uh some of your influences? And yeah, we talked about you know the grunge scene and out and all that other stuff, but who did you like draw influences from? Oh man. Um, so I said, you know, like Jerry Cantrell, um, you know, when I really got serious with guitar, cause it took me a year to get my bearings or so. Um, when I started to really kind of get into my own, I was super into the later Allison chains. I was into filter. Okay. Uh, I loved the short bus record. I still do. That's one of my favorite records of all time. Um, I would say not, he didn't influence my playing, but uh, Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots. Oh, dude, um, come on. There's another one. The way they craft their songs is so unique and so kind of, I don't know, man. That band is real, real special. And uh, the Delia Brothers. Core is one of those undeniable records. Dude. I mean, so good. Um, I I went from grunge pretty quickly to punk rock. And I loved Harder, Faster, Ladder, man. Like uh, Bad Religion, still one of my all-time 
favorite bands. I'm a huge uh, Brian Baker nut and Brett Gerwitz nut. Um, Big Wig, all the Fat Wreck bands, Good Riddance. Okay. Um, I I loved, you know, Pennywise, Fletcher, Fletcher, Fletcher Drag from Pennywise. Um, what just changed my life because he was like, he was playing Slayer, but <laughs> it wasn't all macho chains with flames everywhere, and I liked that. And um, uh, Tom Pita from Big Wig. Um, Big Wig Stay Asleep record just absolutely changed the way I thought about guitar. Uh, Tepe Teranishi uh, and Thrice. Oh, yeah. Were just so refreshing to me because I had actually quit guitar for, I don't know, one or two years. And then I heard uh, Illusion of Safety came out in 01. And I was like, this is this is everything I've ever wanted to hear from a guitar. Like, oh, my God. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm I'm kind of all over the place, but uh, you know, uh, Quinn Allman from the Used was was a huge huge deal to me uh, back in the day. But uh, speaking of which, you just got you guys just got done uh, touring with them, right? We did. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, Joey Bradford, um, who is their guitar player, he. Uh, He's been helping us, and he manages Dragged Under now. And but originally started with just a bros helping bros kind of a thing, and um, you know the entire band had to decide to take us on tour. He was absolutely the catalyst for that. Um, we I I was just we were sending our friends our demos, our early early demos, our four song demos, and Joey played it at the used rehearsal, and they all of them were just like what in the hell is this? Like, this is insane. Uh, but you should also change your name, uh, ditch the rest repose thing and start fresh. Don't try to, don't try to flog a dead horse. And we we're like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, we weren't going to until Burt McCracken tells you to do something, you do it. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, we, we finished the record. We were really proud of the record. And Joey was just like, let me help you. And, we did a tour, a winter tour in December, and then we got back from the tour, and, we're, and he was just like, cool, you guys ready to go on, like, a, a really fucking legit big tour? And we were like, what? <laughs> and and uh, the the used took us out, and they were so gracious, and I cannot, I cannot stress how professional and how unbelievably nice their entire crew was to us. And, like, they, dude, the band was, like, letting us, you know, eat off their catering uh, table and like, they're like, dude, you should come in our dressing room. Like, cause, like we have like way better food and like we have good fruit and like, Oh, that's awesome. Um, dude, they were, they could not have shown us a better time. And uh, I just, yeah, that band, you just, you always want to be careful meeting your heroes because the use of someone I've uh, listened to since the day they came out and, they exceeded all of my expectations. All of them are the sweetest, nicest dudes. That's awesome. That's yeah. kind of like how this situation is right here with me and you. Except you're, not, except you're not giving me any fruit. I mean, I would. I'd feed you a banana. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Right? No, but like <laughs> on like a legitimate <laughs> note, though, like when I when I first reached out to you, I was like, "There's no way this dude's going to respond to me." Because uh, <laughs> I kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because uh you know like i 
I get overzealous sometimes. Like, dude, you'd be surprised the amount of people that don't respond or, you know, basically say no. You can never get a feel because that's that's what really people are saying no to. Like they're they're saying no because they don't think it's it's going to be very good. Everyone is up for a good experience for a podcast, but the majority of them, again, are so shot. Dude, I did one once. And it was basically the guy was just trying to get me to critique his demo. Oh, my God. And here is banned. And under the veil of come on my podcast, it was me and Tony when we were in rest repose. And he didn't. Tony was not allowed to talk a single fucking time. And then the podcast ended after a painful hour and a half. And then he still wouldn't let me go and kept asking me about like, okay, well, on, on this uh, Mesa Boogie video, uh, how about, like, would you say, like, it feels more like he was asking, like, gear advice on what to buy, and I was just oh like, dude, God. I am I am hanging up now, bro. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I mean, that sucks, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Made for a great about. story, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, uh, you can come on here and say whatever you want, basically. <laughs> I mean, we we've went on the air and said, you know, things along the lines of like Billy Joel's an asshole and stuff like that. <laughs> that's all, that's amazing. Well, I feel like that's kind of public knowledge at this point. If you haven't it seen is. it, um, the, it's called Hired Gun. Oh yeah, on Netflix. Yeah, we watched that movie because we used to do movie reviews too, and um, we watched it, and that was like the first thing we texted about. Like, I was like, "Can you believe this fucking asshole, Billy Joel?" Oh, dude. So bad. I mean, I get it. He, all those old school guys are like that. Yeah. Because they just came from a different time when you were a god. But, you know, you don't hear uh, stories of Elton John doing that, do you? No, that is very true. Nope. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. Just kind of, yeah, he's a giant asshole. <laughs> but it's, it's just one of those things. Like, uh, we, we sometimes we like to call it the truth tree. Like we don't, uh, we don't judge and we basically say whatever we want. And then if you don't like it, then you don't have to listen. If you don't want, you can climb down off the truth tree. Yeah, exactly. You can get off our tire swing and you can go mm-hmm. back in the house. Love that. <laughs> so I guess now getting into, uh, like Restro pros and, uh, dragged under, how did those bands, or I guess in order to tell the Dragged Under story, you have to tell the Rest Repose story. How did these bands come to fruition? Uh, Rest Repose came out of, so I, in, in 2015, uh, my my wife at the time started, uh, basically, she was, uh, she basically started sleeping with her boss, which was awesome. Ooh. And then, uh, and then, so we started divorce proceedings. And then three weeks later, uh, I got fired from my office job at Boeing for going on Amazon outside of my lunch break. What? And yeah, no shit. Not exaggerating at all. They're like, so we see you bought some socks. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And they didn't, the only reason they care is because someone complained. Oh my God. The second someone complains, your toast. And uh, they let me go on the spot after nine years of service. Anyway. That's ridiculous. Um, so suddenly I had an empty house and 
a bottle of fucking booze uh, all to myself, and I had nothing, and I basically lost my entire life at that point. And uh, I knew, I knew uh, Jared Dines from uh, mutual friends of ours, uh, a, a local band. I was I went over there to his place where he had a studio at the time, and I was just hanging out. And this was several years before the YouTube thing. Okay. And uh, I just knew him, and this by this time. Uh, by 2015, he had he had started the YouTube thing and was you know well on his way to being a fucking megastar that he is today. And I was basically doing nothing but drinking bottles of Grey Goose every day. Mm. And uh, and he came over and he was just like, you know what, we should actually like do something with your time. Let's start a band. And I was like, a band? I haven't done that in like 10 years. And he was like, yeah, let's do a band. Let's take all these riffs because you have shitloads of riffs. Let's just take these riffs and make songs out of them and see what happens. And that that was the formation of Rest Repose. And then uh, we put an ad out, not an ad out, but like a post out on Facebook. And then uh, our future guitarist, Tony Kapaki, messaged me and said, I'm your guy. And I was like, anyone that says that is not the guy. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, and then he sent me a video and he learned like the latest three songs off of my YouTube demos, like an hour later, which to be fair, aren't very hard to play because I'm a, not that great of a guitarist, but he did learn them note for note, which was cool. But, uh, <clears throat> so he came down and that was the band and we toured and did everything DIY for several or three, four years, released a couple of records um, had a million fucking members and we kind of the, I would say the formation of Drake Dunder started in the middle of the American Safari tour that Restra posted. We did a headlining U S tour that was six weeks long. It was the first time we did a full U S tour and the only time we did it actually. And like six shows in, we sent our singer back home cause he couldn't do it. Was that, and he was in, was that Vince? No, that was Tanner. Tanner, okay. Um, well, we had let, we had let Vince go after the first tour for the same reasons. Uh, they were not taking care of their voices, mm. and uh, they were losing their voices um, every night, and it sounded horrible. And That's we were cool. on a sponsor. We were on a sponsored tour. It was sponsored by DistroKid. They had given us a bunch of money up up front to help us with gas and all this stuff, and. Uh, we couldn't leave the tour. So Tony was like, well, I'll try. I'll try singing. Like, I'll try it. Because uh, at this point, he was on bass because Jared had moved from drums to guitar. So it was me and Jared on guitar. And the first night, he sounded incredible. And we were like, what in the fuck was that? Like, <laughs> you sounded like that the whole time? <laughs> and He's been uh, sandbagging we, you. Dude, he was sandbagging the whole time. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Once I heard him sing for the first time, I was like, oh, my God. I was yeah, like, was who would have thought? He was the fucking rhythm guitarist in Rest Propose this whole time. <laughs> and um, so Rest Propose lasted another tour. Then we, we called it quits. And when we called it quits, that was, well, actually, I'll, I'll back up. We booked studio time. The last tour we did was uh, with I Set to Kill, and 
they had a fill-in bass player, their producer, Hiram Hernandez, um, who's a dear friend. And he was, you know, we had a lot of time on the road just to hang out. And he was like, dude, let me produce some uh, some new music for you guys. Let me, let me come up. Let's write. And I was like, you know, we were all like, yeah, okay, cool. Let's do it. So by the time he comes up in February of 2018, 19? I don't even know. Um, I guess it was 19. I guess it would have been 2019. Um, it, we had a big snowstorm, and Jared wasn't really involved anymore. He was kind of over it. Our drummer, Chris, was over it. They actually quit Oh wow. uh, when, and when Hiram got up here or right afterwards. And uh, we basically got snowed into the studio for like four days. And so we just ordered a shitload of Thai food and energy drinks and went nuts on songs that we just simply thought were cool. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen. And those were the first four songs that dragged under put out. That was, uh, the, the hypochondria, it was riot instability. Uh, and I can't remember the fourth song. Oh my God. Even though I fucking sat and wrote it anyway. <laughs> Um, we came up with these songs and we had that demo tape. And when we recorded those songs, we were still rest repose, but, but Jared and Chris never heard those songs. Oh, wow. Uh, and so me, Josh, uh, Josh Wildhorn and Tony took them and we just kind of gave them around to our friends and just say, Hey, check this out. Like we're, we're stoked on what we're doing. And that's how Drake under started. That's awesome. But that- that is really I think it's cool. important. It's important to like a lot of people. It's like, oh, they changed their name. Like, no, it's it. Dragged under is a completely different thing. Oh yeah, than it, yeah. Like, well, that's coming from the uneducated person that actually hasn't listened to the music. You can tell it's an entirely different band. It's not even the same thing. So no, not um, at all. We we write for the stage. We write for the live show. It's high end, way more high energy and less. Mastodon stoner rock riffs, which, you know, I love as well. You know, my favorite band of all time, I would say, is probably Mastodon. And uh, I love that kind of shit. But, uh, you know, I can get live setting, Mastodon. live setting, though, you need to you need to pick it up a little bit if you're not Mastodon. And uh, <laughs> you need to pick it up and jump off a drum kit and do crazy flips and, uh, you know, play things that people can sing along to. And that's what uh, we have achieved with Dragged Under. That's awesome. It's actually funny, too, because um, my wife, when we first started dating, was probably right around like uh, right, right around like the rest repose thing. And like I, I was like I was listening to you guys and, um, you know, like as it went on, you know, she heard like fathoms and, you know, retrospect mm-hmm. and stuff. She's like, this this is pretty good. And then today when I was like, hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm doing this interview. Well, she backtracking she basically runs everything she does the social mm-hmm. media she does all the other stuff and um she knew that this interview is today and she's like well you got to get some of these questions figured out and stuff and maybe you should watch a couple videos so then i just threw on you know dragged under like just youtube you know autoplay and she's like this is fucking awesome she's like this is way better than rest repose it is like you know, yeah, it, it is like objectively, it is. Right now, her favorite song is Chelsea 
out of all the ones that we listened <laughs> to out of the mix. She's like, this is really fucking good. And I'm like, yeah, I don't listen to shitty music. Apparently, <laughs> you know what? You don't. I can confirm. Thank you, Fluff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. Getting back to the list because, you know, like I, I like to bring up things that maybe people want to hear as opposed sure. to just me, me just, you know, uh, stroking my ego a little bit with like, oh, well, I got fluff on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's see. Since we were talking about touring a little bit ago, um, what's one of the coolest shows you played so far? Oh God! Um, one of the coolest. Uh, okay, so in chronological order, Georgia at the Masquerade when we were on that Restropose uh, American Safari tour was fucking nuts. We sold out the small room, and it was like two hundred and fifty kids or three hundred kids, and they made us do like two encores what? and Jared. Jared crowd surfed dude. When we loaded in the gear, they were pounding on the doors. Rest repose, rest <laughs> repose, dude. It was surreal. That was the wildest crowd a rest repose ever played played to. Like people were jumping off the fucking counters and shit. Like it was crazy. It was like your ultimate like Backstreet Boys moment, dude. It was. <laughs> um, and then with the used tour, I mean, every night was incredible, but. I think a highlight for all of us. Um, so we just signed a record deal with Mascot. And uh, in New York, we played a legendary venue called the Gramercy Theater. Okay. And um, we knew there were people in the crowd to see us. We didn't know there was like a dozen labels and reps to see us. Uh, Joey did not tell us that, thank God. He only told us like, ah, oh, yeah, there was a few, but you know, whatever. Just play, play your thing. But we played... We have never, ever played as well as we did that night on that stage. We absolutely fucking crushed it. And that's coming from someone who's very, very critical of of myself and my band. Like, generally, there's always room for improvement. That night, we just were on 100% fire. And uh, that the crowd was absolutely nuts as well. Like, that definitely helps. And... Uh, they just really, really gave it to us. It was really, really amazing. Well, going back to like being critical and stuff, I feel like that is the way or you can't get too complacent because at no. that point, you know, you stop growing and you stop doing, you know, new and interesting and better shit. And I think I feel like that's what like a lot of people tend to like look past like when creating new music and stuff, it's just like, you, you can't get complacent. Like there's nope. like when Kurt recorded, Nevermind, And when it went to fucking number one and it was the biggest album ever, I mean, grant, maybe that's a bad example. Cause he really hated being famous, but he wasn't like, yeah, you know, we're okay. We're, we're kind of done. No, he fucking right. did it in utero. Right. And it was even, it, it was even crazier. Right. I mean, yeah, that's that's exactly what he did. And he was just like, you know, what? I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do what I want to do. Exactly. Or, you know, Owls and Chains going from Jar of Flies to self-titled. 
Right. And I feel like right. that that album, that self-titled album is I feel like people sleep on it because there was no like real big singles off that album. But to like sit down and like listen to that thing like track for track, it I in my opinion, I think it stands up with like facelift and dirt, no problem. Oh, for sure. For sure. Agreed. Um, let's see. Where haven't you toured yet that you wanted to go? Anywhere but the United States. Okay. Um, Even Canada? Europe, Canada. I want to go. I want to go see the world. We are, soon as this, I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about any of this stuff, but soon as the touring industry gets up to back up to speed, like, I don't know when it's going to be. No one knows. But, you know, a year from now. Hmm. Like we we're gonna be basically doing a world tour. We're just we're gonna be gone for a while. So we're gonna hit Europe, but we're probably gonna hit every part of the planet besides the United States on the new album cycle. That's fucking awesome. Now, how do you manage to like stay creative when you know doing a band like this? Like when when you're on like the American Safari tour or the used tour or whatever. Do you just like record like a batch of videos and like edit them and everything and get them ready for, you know, upload or like how um, how does that process really work for you? Yeah, uh so it, earlier this year was crazy. Um you you can backlog as much as you can, but it'll never be enough and uh my year started off I was a I was a guest instructor at Tom Morello's guitar camp. Oh wow. And then and then I came home. I was home for four days. Uh, my mom passed while I was home. Thank God. Oh, shit. And Sorry to hear that. No, thank you. Um, it wasn't sudden, but um, she just happened to pass when I was home. And I saw her hours before I say my goodbyes. And then the next day I had to hop a plane down to Nam, And I was going to, for a pre-NAM thing. And so it was a few days before NAM. We were all at NAM. The band drove down to NAM. I flew down since I had to be there early. And then the day after NAM ended, we had to drive down to San Diego to start the used tour. Oh wow. And then and then we were on that tour for almost two months. So by the time I got home, I think I got home March second. I had been home four days of that year. That's crazy. And and I did bank videos, but you can't, there's no way you can ever bank months of videos. Um, I did shoot some videos and edit videos on the road. I am totally, when we tour, I take my camera, I have my full setup. I have a very, very powerful MacBook and I can shoot and edit wherever I want. But that was difficult because you run out of videos yeah. halfway into the tour and then you're just like, oh shit. Well, I mean, um, if you ever wanted to, you could probably put like a green screen up in like the back of the van and like have it like like be like your studio, right? so right. it looks like you're still home, right? But, <laughs> and then the, sh- the audio is curiously bad, yeah, and the lighting's bad, and it smells like farts, although the viewer can't sell, can't tell, but still, um, smell of no, it's like we we we, I, I did a few videos on the road, um, but that tour was an exception because 
We were also every day off day. So basically how the used works is they tour. It's basically one day on one day off, two days on two days off. Okay. And, and we, we were booked our own separate tour for every off day. Oh, wow. So that's cool. It was, we were exhausted because we had four actual days off over two months. (laughs) Dude, that's wild. It was fucking crazy. Like I have never been so fucking tired in my life. I slept like three days when I got home. (laughs) Um, But normally you have a little bit more time to be creative and shoot stuff. Um, But that tour we did not. But usually, usually it's fine. Just the kind of content pivots a little bit and you're doing stuff involving people standing in line and like crowds and that kind of stuff, as opposed to, Here's a new amplifier, which a lot of times people like more anyway. So, yeah, it's fine. I mean, well, the whole like vlogging culture and stuff mm-hmm. is like, like, like you look on, you know, like YouTube and you see like David Dobrik or something has like 10 million views. And it's just like, right. I, I walked in the park and it's just like, what? Right. Like, where did I fuck up? <laughs> I'm not walking in the park, friend. Yeah. Hey. you fuck Exactly, dude. Like I sit like every day. Like I sit there. I, I'm a forklift mechanic, so like I'm oh, out. Nice. I'm out in the field, dude. I'm getting greasy and dirty and shit, and being out and mm-hmm. sweating and all that other bullshit. And it's just like I think about it all the time. Like, man, if I would have thought about this YouTube thing like back in like 2008, dude, right? Like, could you imagine like being like I don't know, like uh. Like a good mythical morning or uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, people like that, like, uh, like, uh, God damn it. I forget his name. Um, the bass player from We the Kings. Charles Trippy, like Charles Trippy oh, and yeah, Ali yeah. Speed and stuff like the original like vloggers. Mm-hmm. It's just like, like, come on. Like, how can like, how can I be this dumb? Yeah, I I would love to. I wish I if I if I had to go back, I would uh, I would have told myself, dude. I turned I turned wrenches on cars professionally for ten years, most of my twenties, and uh, I would tell myself to go buy a fucking video camera right now, and go and start posting on this fucking YouTube site. Yeah, right, dude. <clears throat> yeah, like I, I don't know. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's almost like, I bet like people like kick themselves in the ass for like not investing in like Google or Amazon, like <laughs> Google. Oh, sure. what, what the fuck is that? We use ass Jeeves around here. Dude, my, uh, my dad was, uh, Amazon tried to poach him for a job and he turned it down. Um, from this would have been 1999. Oh, wow. And I just asked him about it and I was just like, you turned out a job from Amazon. I didn't know what time frame it was, but, uh, he was like, yeah, that Jeff dude had just moved out of his fucking closet into their first office space. And all they did was books. Like <laughs> they weren't, they weren't shit. Yeah. Of course I didn't take that job. You know, they, they couldn't offer me stock. They couldn't offer me any money. They didn't have medical insurance. Like, no, of course not. Why would I have, I had a family and kids to feed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Like if you only knew. Right. Right. <laughs> Time machine. Build it. Dude, I, I know anyone out there listening. 
you know, if you have, you know, a realistic version of like a flux capacitor or something like that, mm-hmm. please get in touch with us. Uh, yeah, hook us up. Yeah. This would be extremely helpful. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, sticking on the touring thing here, the last thing I have for touring is what is your dream tour lineup if you already haven't had it? It could be living um, or dead. I mean, it wouldn't make a lot of sense, but like, I would love for us to tour with. Well, this part would make sense. Like, I would love like a bear tooth, a day to remember with Mastodon and Ghost. <laughs> Dude, that would make perfect sense. I'm pretty sure yeah, there's make, been like nah, a. That doesn't make any sense at all. I'm pretty sure there's but, been a uh, festival like that somewhere. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but like an actual tour, us. A day to remember, like a, a day to remember would headline Beartooth and then us opening would be literally like the greatest tour ever. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe not, maybe knock sick. loose is in there too. That would be sick. Knock loose that, that they're one of the, like, like newer bands really don't get me like going, but like I heard knock loose. I was like, this is fucking cool, dude. They're so good. So good. Like, it's nice to hear, you know, in a world of like, drop G and stuff like that. There's actually people that are, you know, that there's actually artists that are taking it to like yeah. listenable levels. Yep. They do it. <laughs> um, so do you have any advice or tips for people trying to get into the entertainment industry, whether that be with music or an internet presence with YouTube or pretty much anything like that? Do you have any tips or advice? Um, or- Stay away. Don't do it. Be genuine. Don't do it for money and be prepared to work three or four times as hard as you would any other career choice. And if you're okay with all those things, then I would suggest getting into it. But uh, I mean, there's different varying degrees like there is with bands, right? Like if you're okay, if you're just wanting to keep your day job and play weekend gigs, you can do that. And that's totally fine. Um, you're not making a living at it. You're doing it for fun and doing things for fun is the best way to do things. But if you're trying to actually make a career out of YouTube or playing in a band or touring, um, I do both. And let me tell you, it's a, it's a hard ass fucking road to, to go down. Um, but I didn't start out either on either of those things for money. That was never my motivator. Um, I was doing it just simply because I fucking love it. And that's, ultimately the reason why you should start doing anything in your life. That's awesome. Well, I mean, on top of that, you were also doing like, uh, like, uh, marketing and stuff for various Mm -hmm. other companies. Weren't you at one point? Yeah, I was, uh, I was just trying to get my foot in the industry because again, I didn't want to sit in a cubicle my entire life. So at one point for, I think it was like a year and a half, I was doing YouTube videos on my own. I was at Boeing, I was working night shift, and then at my cubicle, I would edit on my MacBook um, with the jacket pulled over my head, I would edit my videos, and then I was also the artist rep for Evertune Bridges, and then I was also artist rep for um, Two Notes Audio Engineering, and then I was a customer service rep for Positive Grid all oh, at the wow. same time. That's crazy. It was fucked. It was so fucked up. 
Speaking of positive grit, I just had uh, Justin Longshore from Through the Eyes of the Dead on the podcast not long ago. Oh, cool. He's he's a uh, positive grit artist. Um, you know, it's kind of funny you're talking about editing and you know, like doing all this other stuff from your cubicle, but someone ratted on you for fucking socks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what's that hooded guy doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's editing videos. It's all right. And it's like that's oh. fine, but yeah, he's. Don't go on Amazon on a work computer, you fucker. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? <laughs> right? For real. That's funny. Now, uh, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you're getting, uh, you know, you're getting ready to go to uh, practice or whatever for Dragged Under. But yeah. I, I got a couple things here. One is how do you continue to make like your live rig? like more and more I, I don't know like more streamlined per se like what 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 goes into like you building the rack system and whatever and deciding what you need what you don't need because mm-hmm. I've seen um, like your rig has gone through many many changes yeah yeah it has it started out with just an orange actually started out with a bunch of boogie amps and then then I went to orange and then I started the Helix because I got tired of the pedal board. Um, and then when Dragged Under started, our sound evolved so much from Restropose that um, pretty it was pretty apparent pretty quick that we needed a very modern, pretty streamlined rig. And we did a tour. I don't think I ever used real amps. Maybe initially in the very earliest practices, I used real amp with Dragged Under, but uh, I I ditched everything for the Helix pretty early on, Line 6 Helix, and then I have just fine-tuned it to strip down, strip it down to the bare essentials because when you're on a tour for... Because our plan is to not do headlining shows. We know we need to be on other tours, other people's tours, getting in front of many people, as many people as we can. So, like, if you're on a tour with the used, you have whatever space is left over after they set up all of their stuff. So it needs to be as small as possible, as best sounding as possible. But you also need to be able to get it off stage as fast as fucking possible because those roadies, their roadies, will not wait for you to... Put, oh, find your cap and your lid to put it on or put your guitar in your case. No, <laughs> dude, you need to you need to turn your shit off, unplug it, and then roll it outside in the pouring rain and then put it back together. So fine-tuning it for those extreme conditions is key to survival out on the road. And it also has to be really good high-quality stuff. So you can't get the $99 power conditioner because it will die in the middle of Toledo, Ohio, when you plug into the wall outlet that has weird, dirty ass power from the old building you're in. Something tells um, me this is spoken from experience. Dude, we played Toledo once and the power went out four times when we started the set in Nurse Repose. And it turned out all the power strips went back to the same fucking outlet. Oh, my God. The entire gear, lights, fog machine, 
everything was down to one outlet and one power strip. And we were just like, dude, are you kidding us? So it kept popping the breaker and all the lights in the entire place to go out. It was fucked. Anyway, um, but with tube amps, the power would vary widely from club to club and it would sag out my orange. So sometimes my orange would sound like a big muff because it's getting, I could see on my conditioner that I'm getting, you know, a hundred watts uh, or a hundred volts out of the wall when I'm supposed to be getting 120. So the amp is just dying. Uh, so I don't have to worry about any of that with the helix. That's awesome. And like the way the modeling and everything has become not, not that it's a direct replacement and you know, nothing will ever replace, you know, having like a JCM 800 in your room. Oh, but to have like a helix or even I have a, an 11 rack and I love it. Like, I mean, granted, mm-hmm. like the, it doesn't sound like a JCM 800 and it'll never sound like a dual rectifier, but no. it's a, it's a convincing enough sound to play in a loud ass room and just push a ton of air. Like, I mean, at least that's how I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And plus, it, it you know it's a lot lighter to carry a rack case with that <laughs> with the computer. Yeah, that was that was my that was my thing. It's like I loved the sound of the orange or you know the boogie rectifier, but I had this you know giant rolling road case in it, and then uh, lifting it up on stages, you know, I'm lifting up a 150 pound case every single night, having to twist and turn to get it up narrow stairs. I was legit worried about like having a hernia in the middle of a tour. Oh yeah. That, that would, that um, would shut the fun down right quick or pulling something, dude, I've pulled things I have injured and just, Oh my God, slammed, uh, you know, hands and road giant rolling cases and stuff like that. Like I was just like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I love the amps, but I am not fucking hauling these around for that one dirty tone. I'll, I'll get where I need to go with the helix and <laughs> I get there just fucking fine. Yeah. Like and no one cares anyway. Like, yeah, as long as it sounds good, dude, no one is sitting in the crowd going, yeah, I wish it was a fractal. No <sighs> one is doing that. No one cares. <laughs> like I, I remember uh, I've long since, uh, like been in bands and played shows and stuff, especially since I started this. But like, I remember like having like the road case, I had a crepe blue voodoo and like, it was, I loved it. I thought that amp was like the greatest thing it's uh, that was ever plugged into ever. And, you know, I had the case and, you know, rolling and the, the cab case and all this other shit. And then one day I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this yeah. anymore. And then, Yep. My wife bought okay. me an 11 rack and then it's all, it's all history. <laughs> it's all gravy, light gravy. Yeah. To carry that. And, um, well at the time I had like a, it was like a four U, uh, space power amp and like it was way more power than I ever needed, but I got it for 50 bucks and I was like, this'll, you know, th- this'll, this'll work. But, um, like ever since I've, you know, went down to a one U power amp and it's just easy to carry around. And in case you're ready to riot, like here it is. Yeah. It's awesome. But, um, I guess to kind of slowly bring this thing to a close, 
uh, the last thing I have here isn't a question. It is your chance to plug yourself. Where can people find you? What what's next for fluff? What's next for dragged under? This is your chance to tell the masses. Um, you can, if you want to know more about me, you can uh, go to blackmetalbicycle.com or just search fluff on YouTube. Uh, the website just directs to, to all of the things me. Um, and then what's next for dragged under is, uh, we have some some deluxe things and some new some new music coming out very very soon, and uh, some new videos and some new 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 all around. That's that's all I can say. Awesome. New new all around. Yeah, that kicks ass. Well, Fluff, once again, I would like to thank you for coming on here. This has been amazing. This is I'm not gonna be like, oh, this is a dream come true, but it, this is pretty cool. Um, well, I'm glad it was it was a pleasant experience. I want to thank you once again for coming on. This was great. And everyone go subscribe to Fluff's YouTube, uh, Riffs, Beards, and Gear. Follow him on all social medias. And check out Dragged Under on YouTube. You guys are on Spotify too, right? Oh, yeah. Check them out on streaming platforms. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you spend your time. But yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be there waiting. This has been fluff. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. See you right on. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, right before I let fluff go, I asked him to give us a rating of his famous beard system. My name is Ryan Fluff Bruce. I play guitar for the internet, and I also play guitar in the band Dragged Under. You were listening to Rage Against the Mainstream podcast, and I give you four to five beards. Here's a song from my band. Happiness not guaranteed Try to make peace with my past